Second Corinthians chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. Since you are seeking for proof of the Christ who speaks in me, and who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you, for indeed he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him, yet we will live with him because of the power of God directed towards you. Help us, Father, to hear these words, understanding this process of sanctification that each of us is in. And, Father, helping us to understand the glory of the risen King, the power of the risen King, and the privilege of living with Him in the power of the resurrection. In Christ's name, amen. We're looking at a section, the whole section that actually started in verse 20, goes to the end of the chapter, uh, end of chapter 13. And it deals with sanctification. What is sanctification? And it is, it's, it's being set apart, holiness, uh, a cleansing. When you were saved, you were immediately as holy as Christ. You were clothed in Christ's righteousness. The problem is, to, to use computer lingo, the operating system needs to be changed. And if you've ever had to do that, you know that sometimes that can be traumatic. The same thing with sanctification. This process begins with repentance, again, moves to discipline, and what we're dealing with now is authority. Authority. Step three of the process of sanctification is authority. And we looked at the beginning of verse three in the last two weeks, and it deals with the assault that was on the authority. Paul's credentials were being questioned. Was he truly an apostle? Okay. Then it moved to affirming his authority. And that's what we're looking at today, affirming his authority. You can read in verse 3 that the Corinthians were demanding more evidence of his apostolic authority. All right? Which is really amazing if you think about it. He was with them for 18 months. The church was born because of his obedience to the Lord. And yet they're wanting more authority. Because false had come in behind him after he had left. And they were claiming to be super apostles. All right. Because we have letters confirming us from Jerusalem. And that makes us like mega uh, apostles. And Paul is a nobody. When was Paul even really an apostle? And so what happens is you sow a seed of doubt. And as you sow that little seed of doubt then it continues to grow and people start questioning the Apostle Paul. And we see this through this whole letter. Paul is going to give them the authority. But they're not really going to like it. Because he's already told them, I'm going to come back for the third time. And when I come back, he says what? I will not spare anyone. Okay, now listen, the Apostle Paul tells you that. You might want to be getting your ducks in a row. Okay, he was going to visit again and he would show his authority. He would show his power. Because they had, you know, you were seeking proof for Christ in me. Chapter 13, verse 2, he says, I'm not sparing anybody when I come back. All right. If Paul did not find them to be what he wanted them to be, repentant, they would also find him not being to their liking. It wouldn't be nearly as much fun. All right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21, 
First Corinthians 4.21. He said, I came with a spirit of gentleness and love. Or do you want me to come with a rod? Okay. Now remember, this is the fourth letter. He states here, second part of verse 3, speaking of Christ, who is not weak towards you. All right? See, the Corinthians, they, and it's funny because I watch this in the church today in, in our community. It is Christ's mighty power working in them. All right? It was Christ's mighty power working in the Corinthians. And it was Christ's power that was redeeming. It was Christ's power that was sanctifying them. And they were asking for proof in the Apostle Paul of Christ's power. Yet their very existence is proof of God's power in the Apostle Paul. Paul has already noted this. He has already been criticized by the false over and over again, that he was weak. He dealt with the Corinthians. Remember, they said his letters are weighty, which is, is basically a slam that says, you know what? When he's not face to face with you, he talks tough. But when he's face to face, you know, he's, he, he's a weakling. His personal presence is unimpressive. You know what? And even his speaking abilities is contemptible. Second Corinthians 10.10. So he can't turn a phrase. He's not much to look at. All right? And he seems like a weakling when he's around you face to face. He wasn't powerful. He didn't have a, 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 a presence. You know, that can just control the room when he walks in. I, I hear that a lot. I was reading a book about Dick Cheney. And he said that if you look at him, he says he's not very tall. He looks just as frail as anything. And he says, but the thing is, is that when he comes into the room, because of what he's done, everyone is drawn to hear what he has to say. He speaks quietly. He's not a, a, a massive structure standing there taking up space. He walks bent over. And yet, when he sits and speaks, everyone stops to listen. And he says, even if they're his enemy, they stop to listen. Because you may not like him, but it's obvious he has done some things. Same thing with the Apostle Paul. Okay. He wasn't much to look at. He didn't have an ability to really be a great orator. He was unimpressive. He wasn't powerful. He wasn't charismatic. He wasn't a smooth talker. And yet, you know what? The culture of the Corinthians and the culture of us today, that's what we want. We want an orator. We want somebody who can hold our attention. And yet, is that not the work of the Holy Spirit? Is that not work 
of the redeeming work of Christ? Is that not the sanctifying work of His Spirit in the people? Or are you expecting it from the pastor, from the speaker? Fact is, Paul's weaknesses on the human side, he deals with throughout this letter. We can go all the way back to chapter 1. You remember these. I'll just refresh your memories, touching on a few of them. Chapter 1, verse 4, speaking of God the Father and Christ, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we will be able to comfort those who are afflicted. Verse 5, the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, and our comfort is abundant through Christ. Verse 6, we are afflicted, and it is for your comfort and your salvation that we be comforted. And it is for your comfort, for which is effective in, in the patient enduring of the same sufferings. Verse 7, our suffering so that you were sharers of our comfort. Verse 8, we do not want you to be unaware, brother, of the affliction that came to us in Asia. And we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even for life. Had the sentence of death, verse 9, the sentence of death within ourselves, that we not trust ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Verse 10, delivered us from the great peril of death, and will deliver us, and who has kept us, set our hope, and we have yet delivered and are joining, helping you through all your prayers, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf, the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. You can go over to chapter 6. Verse 4. And everything commending ourselves as servants of God in much endurance and affliction, hardships and distress, beatings and imprisonment, tumults and labor, sleepless and hunger, purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and the Holy Spirit and genuine love, the word of truth, the power of God by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet living, as punished but yet not put to death, sorrowful yet rejoicing, poor and yet making many rich. Chapter 11, 23 through 33. Are we servants of Christ to speak of His saying? More so, far more labors, more imprisonments, far more beatings without numbers, often in danger. Five times I received... From the Jews, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. Frequent journey and dangers from rivers and robbers. See, he's going through and saying, these are my, this is my weaknesses. In chapter 7, verse 6, he says, you know what? We were so depressed that God sent Titus to encourage us. We found Titus. Chapter 12, 7 through 10, same thing. This letter is nothing but full of what his human sufferings were. One of the verses that I found fascinating in my studies of the Apostle Paul comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. He came to Corinth. Okay, Paul, the ultimate church planter, the ultimate evangelist. He came to Corinth with fear and trembling. Have you ever done that? Tell you what, 
Go into a church in a 98% Muslim country with a socialist government and you go into the church, it's in an alley because it's not allowed to be on the main street. And across the street is the embassy to the Ukraine and down the street on the end of the block is the embassy to the Iranians. Okay? You're going to speak to 21 pastors that they're only ones that are existing in the entire country. And they're everything from the Pentecostal to the Church of God to the Church of Christ to Presbyterians to Baptists. And you're going to speak on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And tell me you won't have fear and trembling. Go to a country that you've never spoke their language. And when you get to the country, you can't read a sign. And you're there to what? Share the truth of Christ. And you're going to be bold how? You're going to be confident how? Go to a city... That is, its essence is known for its promiscuity. And God leads you to this city where people run around half naked all the time. They have the Isthmian Games and it's based on the Olympics except no one is allowed to dress. And start a church. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Really? Sure. Let's be bold. It's fear and trembling. That is human nature, people. Paul admitted to this. To this fear and trembling. You know what? Paul summarizes his human weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I am a lowly clay pot. I am a pot that no one spends money for because it's used to take the waste out of the house. And you chuck it over the back of the hill. That is my boldness. That is my confidence. I am a earthen vessel. But you know what? I was reading this text and without getting into all the syntax and all of the other stuff, because you get some weird stuff. If you read this thing in the original Greek language, this thing is amazing verse. Okay, because Paul does something here that is so interesting. And when I first started looking at it, I was like, well, how is it you're trying to tell me you're this lowly earthen vessel and then you can make this statement? Okay, because he compares himself to Christ. Anybody want to try that one? But he does it in verse four by comparing himself to Christ's humanity. Okay, I want you to think about this for a second. God. Who the waters fit in the hollow of his hand and the span of his hand is creation. He spoke existence into being. He created time. Okay, 
That one. The one who knit you in your mother's womb. The one who knows the hairs of your head. The one who knows the exact second that you step into his presence. And how you will be there. That one. All right. Laying in a stone manger as an infant. I want you to think about that for a second. Is that not the ultimate weakness? I mean, who's afraid of a baby? The baby ain't even got the ability to vocalize calling a legion of angels. Here's an infant in a stone manger, a feed trough. It's what it is. It's not a little goat bed. It's a feed trough. Here lays that baby who spoke existence into being. That is the weakness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He speaks of himself in that picture, the Apostle Paul does. At his incarnation, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, he did what? Emptied himself. Listen, this infant, it's amazing to me because people wanted to, den- to deny Christ. And I got to say, that, that is mind-numbing to me. Can you tell me what his degree was in? Can you tell me what college he graduated from? What was his GPA? Was he born of wealth? He was a carpenter. He was a carpenter. He wasn't raised in the courts or the council of royalty. To be honest with you, he never traveled more than 50 miles except for as an infant when his parents took him out of town to hide him from Herod. Other than that, it was 50 miles anywhere he went. He never went in. And yet he completely impacted the globe. And you're telling me. He, did he have a degree in political science? How did that work? How did that work? In Mark chapter 6 verse 3. He was a carpenter. He lived humbly. And you know what is amazing about this person? He never had a permanent home. And you know what? You know what is stunning to me? Probably the single most stunning thing about his weakness. Matthew 27 verse 35. At his death... At his death, all he had on is what he owned. That's it. That was his earthly possessions. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 8, speaking of Christ, indeed, he was crucified because of weakness. This is missing from our pulpits today, people. We don't preach his weakness. 
We don't preach the fact of his crucifixion is the extreme evidence, the extreme extreme truth of his weakness. And yet the Apostle Paul is identifying. You can see this message preached in Acts chapter 2, verse 23. You can see it preached in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. You see it preached in Acts chapter 5, verse 30. His human nature was so weak that it was fully susceptible to death. Think about that for a second. God dying. God dying. But, that ain't where it ends. He lives because of the power of God. Who did what? Raised him from the dead. Let me, this is a, a, a concurring theme that goes on. I'm just going to read a handful of these and then I'll give you the rest or we'll be here all day. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. Who was declared the son of God with power by resurrection from the dead. Romans chapter 7 verse 4. Therefore my brethren. You also have been made to die to the law. Through the body of Christ. So that you might be joined to another. To him who was raised from the dead. Chapter 8 verse 24. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. Why? For he was raised from the dead. Chapter 10 verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You can write these down. Go do your homework. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 4 and verse 20. Don't want to forget the little book of Romans called Galatians chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Listen, that's our message, people. In this ultimate weakness, there is ultimate power. That's what all of the preachers in the book of Acts preach. He was raised from the dead. You know what's amazing? I get people who want to debate me over whether Jesus was real. And I said, have you ever been to Israel? No. Well, anytime something happened in Israel, they've got a monument or a church. Everywhere. And you know what's amazing? There ain't no body. They've got a headless body in the Vatican. They claim that's John the Baptist. I told him I thought it was Paul. It's too short to be John the Baptist. Okay? We got that. We will work. If we had a body, we would worship. We don't have a body. Zero. Zip. Nada. You know why? 
God raised him from the dead. The tomb is empty. Okay? Do we understand that? Do we understand that? Just as Christ's death showed his human weakness, his resurrection shows his divine power. Listen, that's what the Apostle Paul is experiencing. I have the weakness of Christ, but I walk in the power of the resurrection. There's too many in the body of Christ who haven't got to step two. We think we need to be busy about being busy. No, walk in the power of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul did it. You see the effect the Apostle Paul had, and yet he was always attacked. He was always attacked. Why? Because he was a frail earthen vessel with a precious treasure inside, and that precious treasure is the power of the resurrected Lord. Gee, many Christians, if you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That ain't what it says. He said, Jesus is Lord. Man, I have heard, I've been on construction sites, and that's all they ever talk about. Okay? But you know what? Do you believe in the resurrection? And we can all say yes, but then I'll ask you the second part of the question. Do you walk a resurrected life? Because that's the same. That's the same. That's the affirming of the authority. What is the authority? An empty tomb. An empty tomb. See, Paul was weak in Christ. He knew that. My email address. In him. You know why? That freaked Paul out. I'm in him. When God looks at me, all he sees is Christ. That freaked Paul out. Why? That's the power of the resurrection. Paul, in his weakness of Christ, ministered fear and trembling. Paul, in his weakness in Christ, suffered constant sorrow, constant pain, constant disappointment. Yet, if you look at your text there, toward the end of verse 4, what does it say? Paul understood that he would live with him. Live with him. As for Paul and all believers, guess what? You will live with him. Listen, this is one of the things that I get really frustrated with boastful, arrogant believers. Okay? Drives me nuts. Because I look at their Lord. He was so weak that at his death, everything that he possessed, he was wearing. Okay? And yet, as the Apostle Paul, each and every one of you right now who is truly saved, possess a resurrected life. You are in the process of being raised with Christ. Let me give you a verse. This is a verse that is so overlooked. 
It's, it's, it's such a tragedy. And I think the reason that it's overlooked, it's just a tad bit tough to swallow. Okay? Because I look at the day and age of the church right now, this era that we are in, and the church is adamant about gimmicks. Okay? The church is trying things that hasn't even had time to fail in society. And the church is trying to do it. The church has a history of getting on the wagon after it's been abandoned. Okay? And, and I've just never seen anything quite like it. Here's a text that many Christians should basically tear it apart and ask themselves, is this real? Okay? Comes out of the letter to the Romans, chapter 6, beginning at verse 4, 4 through 11. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into his death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in this newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that the old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we might no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer has master over Him. For death that He died, He died to sin for once and for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul uses some fascinating terms there. That word die and dead. You know what that means? It means died and dead. Do you know that if you take a corpse, it is impossible for you to make that corpse sin? Did you know that? You can't do anything to make that thing. It can't cuss you. It can't get angry. It doesn't matter what you do with it. And that's what the terminology the Apostle Paul is using. You're dead. You have been buried with him if you have been. That word there, you see united. That's those of you who heard Wayne talk about it. That's the Jesus biscuit. So you take all the ingredients to make a biscuit. And you mush them all together. Technically, before you cook it, you can take each of them ingredients and separate them out again. But once you bake it, guess what? You can't separate it. That's the word united. And if you have been joined with him, you are so joined with him that nothing can separate you from him. Or vice versa. Listen, Paul's weaknesses, our weaknesses, I know, I know you guys don't have any, but all of my weaknesses, I have enough for all of you. Okay? 
never hinders God's power from flowing through. Because we have to ask ourselves a question. How much power does it take to make a dead body come back to life? Okay? If I've been buried with Him, then I have been raised. You know what's really weird about that word in the original language? It's past tense. You're not waiting to be raised. You already are. Back to Paul's warning in Corinthians. The power of God, which raised Christ and gave Christ eternal life, would be directed toward the Corinthians. That's power. That's power. That same power would be with the Apostle Paul in his living of the resurrected life when he showed up again. Paul would come with authority. Paul would come with divine power. And he would deal with those in continued sin. He would be as the Lord was. Now think about this for a second. He identified with the weakness of Christ. For indeed, he was crucified because of weakness, yet he lives because of the power of God. For we also are weak in him. He compares himself with Christ. Yet, we will live with him because of the power directed towards us. We have the power of the resurrection, Paul is telling the Corinthians. Okay? Paul would come with this. He would deal with these people. He says the same thing that the Lord Jesus said to the church in Pergamum. In Pergamum, Jesus told them, Therefore, repent, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war against you with the sword of my mouth. Unquote. My God, if that don't get your attention, I'm not really sure anything's going to. Perhaps you might want to check step one. Let me give you a quote out of a, a commentary by a guy named Philip Hughes. Speaking on this verse here, the apostle discerns an analogy between the smaller and localized setting of the relations with the Corinthian church and the cosmic drama in which the master Christ is the chief actor. The weakness of the cross at Christ's first advent is to be followed by the manifest power of his majestic authority as king of kings and lord of lords at his second advent. When he will appear as the judge of the whole world, Revelations 19.11. The cross, writes Denny, does not exhaust Christ's relation to sin. It passes from the cross to the throne. And when he comes again, it is as judge. When Christ comes again, he will not spare. And the two things that go together with him, the infinite patience of the cross and the exhortable righteousness of the throne. So too, Paul, 
who is one with his master in the weakness of compassion and patience and long suffering, desiring the repentance of all, is one with him also in the power of authority and judgment. If his former visit appeared to be marked by weakness, the defiant ones in Corinth will find that his impending visit is marked with power. Unquote. Listen. Paul returns. He was going to return to deal with sin. Okay. Now. One of the first things that pops up anytime you deal with this is judge not, lest you be judged. Okay? Then remember this one. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 13. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you were in fact unleavened, for Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with leaven of malice and wickedness, but of Unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not. Now listen to what he says. I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world or the covetous and the swindlers and with idolaters. For then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reveler or drunkard or swindler and not even to eat with such a one. Judgment begins with the house of God. So. That's sanctification. There has to be repentance. There must be discipline and there must be authority. All right. Now, listen, if a pastor or an elder are to call the church to repentance. And discipline those who refuse to repent. The pastor and the elder must possess divine authority to do it. Okay? That authority rests in the Word of God. Okay? Which makes it essential that it be preached and applied clearly with conviction. Which is fascinating, because that's what the next section deals with, authenticity. Those who persistently, now I'm going to close with this thought. Those who persistently reject the authority of scriptures, I call them the editors. Okay, when a woman preaches, okay, 
That is a very clear statement. I will not have women teach over men. That You do not have to be a Greek scholar to figure out what that says. Okay? Now they have become editors. I believe the Bible except that part. Oh, you're the editor. People who persistently reject the authority of Scripture should be called into question on the genuineness of their salvation. It is that simple. What do you do with this one? Do not forsake the assembly together, which is the habit of many. What do you do with that? When people refuse to come to church, I have to go back and say, you are rejecting the authority of Scripture. Are you saved? Well, I just don't know. You know, I had a a friend, you guys remember him, he moved to Florida. uh, Boomer. He says, I don't like crowds. And I says, I don't care. You got to get into a church. But you don't understand, I don't want crowds. I don't care. And I was on him about it. No, man, that ain't no excuse. Then don't go to heaven. He said, what? I said, hell is dark. You won't know you're in a crowd. Guess what? Called me on Christmas Day. He's found him a Presbyterian church. Okay. Listen, you can't just say, well, I like this part of the Bible, but that uh, that's just real old stuff. You can't do that. You can't do that. If you have that mindset, guess what? You're rejecting the authority of Scripture. If you're rejecting the authority of Scripture, are you saved? Are you saved? Listen, there's all kinds. I can show you a whole bunch of stuff in here I don't like. That part in there says, you know what? I have to give an account for all of your souls. I don't like that at all. But you know what? I argued with him about it and he said, he didn't care. <laughs> okay? So when you think about the process of sanctification, understands it starts with repentance. Personal repentance. Okay? Discipline. That's when the Holy Spirit says, yeah, I'm talking to you. And then you bow to the authority that Christ has placed over you. I don't care if you're an American. The kingdom of God is a monarchy. And you're just passing through this place. So you have to listen to the authority. And the authority that is placed over you is the man that wields the sword of truth. That knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And can divide the soul and the spirit. That's the authority. That's the authority. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. You bow before this book and you will find that it is affirmed in every aspect of your being. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the Apostle Paul. And as I struggled so with that, him comparing himself to you, and then you made it so clear to me that even as we stand here this day, we are in the human weakness that Jesus Christ walked in. And yet, the power that is in us is the power of the resurrection. Wow. Help us, Lord, to stand in awe of that for eternity. In Christ's name, amen.